to a Texan abroad. This is the fifth in my series of about 30 uh, political conversations, or chats, or podcasts that I'll be doing and posting on Instagram TV, uh, as well as on my podcast feed that you can find on iTunes or pretty much anywhere that podcasts are offered. So subscribe, rate, review, let me know how I'm doing, either there or in the comments on Instagram. I really appreciate the feedback, even if it's just to say that you're listening and giving me two, your two cents about uh, the topic I talked about today or yesterday or the day before. Um, I've appreciated all the feedback so far and look forward to some of you joining me over the next 25 days as I continue to have these talks. We'll have our first guest actually on Saturday. Yesterday I talked a little bit about politicians uh, and their role in the government and generally what we think of them. Now I'd like to talk about where those politicians work, namely the government, uh, spe specifically the different kind of structures of government and how it gets its powers and what works and what doesn't. And I think the best place to start is the Constitution. Uh, at least in the U.S., that's where all of the government's powers are derived from. Uh, looking that up today, I was kind of curious if the U.S. was the longest living longest uh, still in effect constitution and actually it is by I think somewhere around 30 years over I believe it was New Zealand um, but it's the longest running longest living constitution the question I think it's important to ask is is the constitution or is a constitution sacrosanct is it so fundamentally important that it can never be touched or altered in some way unless a vast majority of people agree to it in the way that the US Constitution is uh, it's subject to amendment, as we've seen over time, but that's become less popular in recent years in modern times, and increasingly more difficult as the partisan divide kind of widens further. Um, I do think, in general, it's important for a constitution, a charter of a government, to be a living, breathing thing, something that changes with time, that develops and evolves with society, with technology, with culture, with our moralities, everything about the way that we live. There's no possible way that the founders of America 200 years ago uh, ever would have thought um, or considered the way that society is run today, the problems and the issues that they have today. Um, so it's important to have a living, breathing thing, the way that our Constitution has become, and, and I think the courts and, uh, and a lot of other branches of the government, arms of the government that have kind of helped to keep it alive in that way, um, have done a good job. That being said, I do think sometimes we need to reevaluate things on a bigger scale. Um, and I think constitutional conventions, especially as I said in modern times, they're, they're less common than they ever were before. Um, and we seem to be so dramatically divided these days that the idea of having a constitutional convention and agreeing on some fundamental changes and structures might seem to be almost out of reach in some respects. But if you ask me, I think it would make actually a lot of sense to maybe have a mandatory constitutional convention or maybe rethinking, reprocessing of ideas of the powers of the different branches of government, of the roles that those branches should play. A lot of people right now are talking about the Supreme Court and how much power it has and whether or not it's been politicized. And I'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow. Um, but regardless, the role that the Supreme Court plays, the 
rights and freedoms that are protected for us in the Constitution changes uh, with each passing age, with each passing day. And I think having some sort of reevaluation in that regard wouldn't be necessarily a terrible thing. Um, that brings me to the question of the kind of nuanced idea of the American government. We have three branches, as most countries and most governments do, the judicial, legislative, and executive. And they all kind of check each other, right? That actually there are balances and checks, checks and balances, as it's often called in political science class, that fundamentally shape how the government keeps itself in check, that no one branch has too much power to go too far. Um, are checks and balances working, at least in America? I think the answer is actually pretty clearly yes. Um, you know, many people uh, will say that Trump's done a good job. A lot more people, I think, would say that Trump has done a bad job. Regardless, I think that you can't look at four years ago and today and say that the government itself has fundamentally changed. Not for a lack of trying, I think, on Trump's part sometimes, but because federal judges have the power that they do, because they are able to keep the executive branch in check, I think actually the Trump administration has been a pretty good test uh, for how well the U.S. governmental system can hold up to someone who wants to take more power. Um, now, that leads us to a different question, perhaps a more complicated issue, uh, and that is, is it better to protect against that kind of tyranny or allow people to govern? What does that mean? I actually heard on a podcast recently, another podcast, uh, Checks and Balance is actually the name. It's the Economist political podcast. Uh, it's actually quite good and I highly recommend it. You can find it in their feed. Um, or just search for checks and balance in iTunes. Um, they were talking about the idea, a lot of European countries, they give their legislative bodies, which oftentimes includes the prime minister, so oftentimes includes the executive branch, a lot more freedom, a lot more power to govern. Um, now, that means that that executive branch, or that legislative branch, depending on what they, um, the will of the people and their missions and, and the ideas that they have, they have more power to pass more rules and laws and regulations to make more big fundamental changes than we do in America. It's easier for them to govern. And the idea being, let these people govern for two years, four years, six years, however long. And if what they're doing doesn't work, then the will of the people can win out and we'll give it to another person, another group of people to try their chance at. That's the idea. Let someone have their shot at it and if they do something wrong, or if they do something we don't like, then we just vote someone else in. The flip side of that coin is what happens if those people then actually, who are in power, take away the ability of the, of the people to change the very government that they voted in. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually hits to the heart of the question. Do you believe some sort of dystopian future, some sort of populist takeover, is indeed truly possible in modern-day America or Great Britain or anywhere else? Do you think, actually, I just this summer watched uh, the first few seasons of The Handmaid's Tale, and while it's an excellent show, one of the things that I thought to myself is it's pretty far-fetched that you can go from zero to a hundred the way that they did in that show. 
uh, that all of a sudden, like, highly conservative religious culture can just dramatically take over the government and society in America. Uh, that's not to say that it can't happen, it's just I have a greater belief in people, perhaps, uh, than others do. And so when I look at dystopian things, even the pandemic, I was listening to another podcast called The Press Box, and they were interviewing a guy who actually had written a book uh, about a year ago on a pandemic. And it was a fiction book, and he went around and understood exactly all of the country's uh, different ideas for what happens during a pandemic. And he wrote a, uh, I believe it's now best-selling kind of book that was recently released. But one of the things that hit, hit me was that the author said, nowhere, in no way, uh, in my wildest imagination, did I think that people would stay home just because the government asked them to. Yet, that's what everyone did in almost every country across the world. Now, granted, we've gotten to the point, and I'll be talking more about COVID-19 and the pandemic on, Friday, on Saturday by myself and on Friday evening uh, with a lovely guest that I'm excited to talk to. But the point being, I think people are much better situated. Um, people are much better generally than a lot of people give them credit for. And I often say that, and it's just because I've been to a lot of different places and I've talked to a lot of different people, and that's my job every day, to talk to different kinds of people in different walks of life. And maybe that makes me more biased or maybe it makes me more naive, I'm not sure. Um, but for that reason, I don't know that this kind of fundamental takeover by some, whether it's ultra left-wing or ultra right-wing group, is really fundamentally possible. Um, for that reason, if you asked me, do I think that it's better that we protect against tyranny, the way that the American government is set up, or that we allow someone to rule for a little while, to govern, to pass laws, to make changes, and then reevaluate, I think I'm like 55, 45 in favor of allowing them to govern. Of course, I think we always have to make sure that we're doing our jobs to preserve democracy and don't make it too easy for someone to take the ball and run with it, so to speak, and revoke the very freedoms and everything else that government is there to ensure that we have. Um, but I, I think it would be an interesting idea in the American system if we allowed people to govern a little bit. Uh, and maybe we'll get that actually after this next election. There's a lot of talk that the Senate and the House uh, and the presidency could all flip to one party. However, the judiciary would still be quite conservative. So again, might be a little bit more difficult. Another division of the government in the US is the 50 states, the federalism that exists there. Uh, we often talk about it in terms of a 50 little dem democratic experiments. And do I think that that works? And actually, I really do. Um, I love one of the things that I, when I describe it to students here, when I describe it to people outside the country, I use the issue of marijuana, actually. Um, and I say, actually, there are states that uh, allow it recreationally, there are states that allow it medically, there are states that decriminalize it, and there are states where it's still illegal. And every state, that local little group that has its own culture and idea, has the ability to develop at its own pace, yeah? So in that way, you can, if your state, whether it's Colorado or California or Michigan or anywhere else, if you feel that it's time, if your populace is ready, you put it to a referendum and you decide how that issue is going to be shaped in your little community. I think that's fantastic. 
And on the other side, if there's a big sweeping idea, I apologize for the sirens, there's a lot of traffic around me right now, and uh, of course these ambulances cannot, <laughs> cannot get out of the way because Moscow traffic is uh, probably the worst in the world. Another story for another day. Anyway, um, something like gay marriage, where actually the Supreme Court said this is such a fundamental issue that we are going to rule on it for the entire country, that actually it's so fundamental to be able to have the rights and privileges of being married. It's more of a contractual issue, a legal issue, than it is a religious, moral, or otherwise one, the way that it used to be deemed. That we're not going to allow any state to make this decision for themselves. This is a fundamental tenet, so we have to do something nationwide. I think that is an amazing system, and it makes the local community or the state community much more important than it might otherwise be. The last question is kind of should the government be bigger or smaller? And this is a fundamental difference when it comes to Republicans versus Democrats. Um, and it's probably something where again I'm kind of torn. I, I do like the idea of the government helping those who need it in some way because there are there's a lot of inequality in the world. Um, and it's about where you start. Uh, and your starting position can really dictate in life where you're able to get. That's not to say that if you start at the bottom, you can't get to the top, because my dad did exactly that. Uh, one of the most amazing men I've ever met. He clawed his way from the very bottom to a very successful and amazing man and a successful attorney in Texas. Um, he did that with his own two hands and his own great mind. But I do think we need to think about other people and how do we give them that ability to, to lift them up, and that means a bigger government. But I'm not sure that government is the most efficient thing, and I'll talk about that too a little bit later in another podcast, which is why I am part of the Yang Gang. Universal basic income, and that's something I think I'm gonna dedicate a particular podcast to uh, a little bit down the road. I am a full-fledged member of MATH, Move America, wait, Make America Think Harder, yeah? Uh, forward, not left, not right. I love Yang, and I wish he were the nominee because I would absolutely be out there supporting him. Think about that. Think about what we talked about. Have a great day, and I'll, until tomorrow, I'm a Texan abroad.